Support for the Source podcast comes from UT Health San Antonio, South Texas' largest academic research institution, where what is discovered in its labs translates into life-changing patient care. More at groundbreakingresearch.org. Live from the John L. Santico studio, this is The Source from Texas Public Radio. I'm David Martin Davies. Plastics are everywhere in our modern world. That's undeniable. But plastics durability has a dark side. The tiny fragments, the plastic dust, also known as microplastics and nanoplastics, it's pervading our environment. It's in our air, it's in our water, it's in the food that we eat, and it's in us. This alarming infiltration of plastic is raising critical questions about what is this doing to our bodies? What harm is it causing us? We're joined by Matt Simon. He is a senior staff writer at Wired, covering biology, robotics, and the environment. And his latest book is A Poison Like No Other, How Microplastics Corrupted Our Planet and Our Bodies. And Matt, welcome to The Source. And thanks for having me. So uh, plastics have been around, you know, since the 40s, uh, and this got bigger and bigger uh, each decade, just the explosion of plastics in the modern world. And we're just now figuring out this problem? Yeah, I mean, it's really just been in the past couple of decades, the science of microplastics and nanoplastics has really taken off. Um, this was on kind of under the radar a little bit, but it was on scientists' radar um, back in the 1970s. The early 70s, a scientist discovered little pellets of plastic uh, floating out on the Atlantic in the open ocean and, and found that a bit weird. But in the ensuing decades, a lot of the focus environmentally was uh, shifting toward the big stuff, the big plastic, the macro plastic, bottles and bags, that sort of thing. So uh, all the while, since really, as you mentioned, the production of plastic took off in the 1940s, we have had microplastics infesting the environment. Um, we have just really been getting more of the technology now in, in the scientific community to find that stuff and now shifting attention into what are the consequences of this really omnipresent pollution. So plastics, it's a petroleum product more or less, and it's a chemical uh, manufactured as something that nature has not seen. So it, it doesn't really know what to do with. Uh, we can talk about some discoveries that have been made about that can break down plastics in a natural way, but that's still uh, not scalable. But so, uh, so once plastic goes into the ecosystem, it's sort of inert, uh, more or less, and just works its way down. And as plastic gets uh, beat, or beat up in the environment, it's become smaller and smaller. And now we see it where? We see it everywhere, absolutely everywhere. So as you, you mentioned, a, a bottle or a bag that's out floating on the open ocean does break down over time. One of the main ways the plastics breaks apart uh, is by UV bombardment. So the sunlight breaks uh, those bonds and it just breaks into smaller and smaller bits. Microplastics, which are, are, are five millimeters or smaller, that's about the width of a pencil eraser, they get smaller and smaller and smaller. And now scientists are finding nanoplastics, which are smaller than a millionth of a meter, um, absolutely minuscule. So because these particles can get so small, they have uh, gotten into absolutely every corner of the oceans, for one. Um, but because they're light, they can take to the air very easily. And, and focus has shifted in recent years into the atmospheric side of things that not only are there microplastics and nanoplastics up there, um, but they're up there in astonishing numbers. They're a fundamental component now of the air that we breathe. 
And in, even in the deepest trenches of the ocean, in the smallest of plankton, uh, it's, it's, we see microplastics in the darkest corners of the planet. Everywhere, absolutely everywhere. So you are actually finding some of the highest concentration of microplastics anywhere in the Mariana Trench. So the deepest parts of the world's oceans are some of the most um, infested with microplastics and nanoplastics. You mentioned the plankton as well. These bits of plastic are, are the perfect size to get into these really tiny organisms that make up the foundation of the ocean food web. Um, a, a big source of microplastics is the microfibers from our clothing um, that washes out in our, our uh, wastewater into the ocean. Those fibers are actually perfectly shaped to wedge themselves in the, the digestive system of these really small creatures. Um, uh, even the spherical ones, uh, one scientist described finding these uh, microplastic spheres in the, the bellies of, of fish uh, larvae and saying that it's basically like you or I swallowing a bowling ball and uh, and just imagine what that would do to a digestive system it, or possible. But it's it, the same principle. It, it, it's blocking the digestive system, but also decreasing the appetite of these, these planktonic creatures um, for actual food that would sustain them. So it seems like they're that's the particulate problem that's just like when it becomes it's small uh, but bit large to small creatures and then it's may have small parts of floating in our system uh, humans like we sits in our lungs and maybe it's causing you know as a particulate it is causing a a physical problem with our uh, with our body works but then i wonder about the nano or even as it begins to leach chemicals into our bodies is because the thing about plastic they keep telling us that it's durable it doesn't break down but uh and you bring it into a, a system like our body does it break down it, it certainly does so the concern with microplastics is that you know at the, at the smaller than five millimeters we can inhale them we're eating a lot of them in our food drinking a lot of them in our water um but when you are getting down to that nano scale it's not just that these particles that get into our bodies, but they're small enough to get into individual cells within our bodies. That's the major concern here is that we know for an actual fact that there are a lot of different chemicals, as you mentioned in the introduction, uh, that are used to make plastics that are highly toxic. Um, a lot of these are endocrine disrupting chemicals that are, are bad, really bad for our, our hormone systems. So we have to consider not just the physical abrasion that a microplastic might cause in the lungs as, as a particulate matter, but on the smaller scale, how many of these particles are moving readily through our bodies because they're so small, um, but also getting into the individual cells. Right, and you're saying that is causing what kind of problems, you know, uh, diabetes, cancer, hormonal imbalances, uh, neurological symptoms, you know, what is that doing? The tricky part here is that the science is, is very new on the human health side of things. Um, it's, it still remains difficult to tease apart the contributions of the plastics that are all around us, like bottles and bags uh, are leaching those chemicals into our foods, um, and we're getting dosed that way. It's very difficult to actually tell what contribution we're getting from microplastics and nanoplastics. So we know that they're definitely in our bodies in very high numbers. Um, 
the question is how much is going to be too much to have in our bodies. Uh, the early human health studies are looking more specifically at particular chemicals used in plastics, uh, going through people's blood samples and correlating that with, with health problems they might have. And uh, early research, this actually came out about a month ago, a, a paper found that uh, plastics might be responsible for something on the order of $250 billion in health damages in the United States alone each and every year. Um, this is what you'll be seeing more in, in the coming years. I, I guarantee it is more human health studies showing that um, the plastics that were always pitched to us as these these benign materials um, are in fact highly toxic and, and really terrible for human health. All right, we're taking a break. Our phone lines are open. If you got a question, a comment about microplastics, what uh, what's it doing to us? Uh, how do we uh, can we uh, avoid them? Uh, give us a call 833-877-8255, 833-TPR-TALK. You can email us at thesource at tpr.org. The Source continues right after this minute break. We'll be right back. Support for this podcast comes from Big Sun Solar, committed to helping businesses strive towards energy independence and conservation. Solar is a great way for businesses to lower their carbon footprint. More at bigsunsolar.com TPR. You're listening to The Source on Texas Public Radio. I'm David Martin Davies. A poison like no other, how microplastics corrupted our planet's and Our Bodies, the book that sheds light on this growing critical issue that we can no longer ignore. It's a compelling read that combines scientific knowledge with captivated storytelling, leaving readers informed, concerned, and hopefully empowered trying to figure out a solution to this problem. We're joined by the author, Matt Simon, a senior staff writer at Wired Magazine covering biology, robotics, and the environment. So Matt, how did you get turned on to this problem? I've actually been covering these studies on microplastics uh, before I started writing the book for a couple of years. These have been really trickling out um, in, in higher numbers in recent years as scientists get a, a kind of a grasp on where all of these particles are in the environment. So doing stories here and there for Wired, and I was actually sitting around during lockdown, <laughs> during the pandemic, and realized that nobody had really done a, a popular science book around microplastics. So what I set out to do was round up the state of the science, um, go visit scientists who are researching this sort of thing and, and present it to the, the popular audience. Well, it seems like the science is still catching up. Um, and every week there are new reports coming out about something else that they've learned, places that they find new causes for uh, that's, that's happening with microplastics. Um, it certainly seems like uh, we're playing catch up. We are, and the science is progressing so quickly that for the book, I talked to a number of scientists that were not microplastic scientists originally, but they were biologists uh, or geologists finding so many of these particles out in the environment that they, they actually committed themselves to studying microplastics and, and nanoplastics more going forward. So. Um, as I mentioned, in the early 70s, uh, we had the first indications that microplastics were around. Um, so we have been getting much more good studies showing where they are in the environment. And now we are focusing much more on the consequences for 
uh, the plankton that we had mentioned, but virtually every organism on this planet, because the stuff is so pervasive, uh, is corrupted in its own way. And then moving also into the human health side of things, um, Europe is actually pretty far ahead of us on this. They're, they're pouring a lot more funding into the human health sides of microplastics and, and nanoplastics. So uh, in coming years, look for more coming out of there. Let's go to a caller. Oh, we have Javier on the line. And Javier, you're on the air. Go ahead. Yeah. Okay. Hey, Dave. Hey, I wanted to ask your guest about, it might be the silly question of the day, but uh, we've been drinking bottled water for a few years now. But, uh, you know, we put it in the fridge. But, uh, you know, the, case, the other cases, we put it in the garage, right? And I was, I was wondering, like, during the summer, it gets kind of hot in there. I said, hey, uh, is it bad or is it breaking down that, hey, you need to store in a cool place or, or what? You know, I didn't. All right, Javier, thank you for that. A lot of concern about the plastic pollution of bottled uh, plastic bottled water. But now you're talking about, is it is it doing something to our health, Matt? Yeah, not only is that not a silly question, it's a fantastic question. It's very perceptive. Um, so one of the things that we need to worry about with plastics is um, just in, in general with a plastic bottle of water, you have that contact uh, of, between the water and the plastic. That in itself is uh, leaching microplastics into that water um, just over time, naturally breaking down. But one of the other things I had, I had mentioned that UV light bombards plastics and breaks it down, the other thing is actually heat and cold. So if you are heating up or freezing plastics, that actually really rapidly helps it break down. And that is going to release more microplastics into that bottle of water. Um, I, I, I just beg people not to microwave plastic either under any circumstances. There has been good research showing that spews tremendous numbers of microplastics and nanoplastics into the food that you then eat. Um, but yes, I, I would um, uh, suggest that where possible to avoid bottles of, of plastic um, for your water source, um, but certainly to keep it from, from warming and cooling uh, back and forth over time, because that does break apart the plastic. Uh, but in general, the rule should be zero food and water should be in contact with plastic um, as much as you're able. So some uh, microwave-safe plastics are, are marketed to people. Do you find that to be like that's misrepresentation? I, you would need a, a specific scientific study into that specific product for them to claim that. Um, so the issue that scientists have, um, as we're determining more and more that plastics are bad for human health, is that you'll see uh, something is, is like BPA-free, for example, of one particular chemical that we know is terrible for human health. Um, scientists are worried that manufacturers of plastics are just substituting in other chemicals to replace those that might be as toxic, if not more toxic. The issue with plastic is that uh, to give it all those properties that, are, that, that make the material so useful, so it's, it's toughness, it's malleability, it's, it's waterproof, that sort of thing, those require specific chemicals um, derived from fossil fuels. And you'll, you'll hear about like bio-based plastics, uh, which are, are not a solution. Those are plastics uh, where they get their carbon backbone from uh, plants instead of from fossil fuels. They're loaded with chemicals that are derived from fossil fuels anyway. Um, so uh, there is, uh, in my opinion, no such thing as an environmentally friendly plastic. 
So what about makeup? There's uh, microplastics and in, in makeup deliberately put in there. This was a, a kind of a tricky thing. So we are all familiar with that, that microbead legislation from about 10 years ago. The United States uh, got ahead of it and, and said, okay, we're, we're banning microbeads in, uh, in, in products. So that's usually uh, things like a face wash that's a, a scrubbing, exfoliating agent. Um, and that was only a ban on wash-off products uh, for things like your face, uh, these, these scrubbers. It did not include a ban on microplastics in cosmetics, which are continue to be loaded with these particles. Uh, they're oftentimes included uh, these little microbeads to make the makeup go on more smoothly. Uh, when you wash your face, uh, those flush into uh, a wastewater treatment facility and then eventually out to the ocean. But that's also meaning that there are microplastics in contact with your your face all day. So it's these sneaky ways that we need to legislate um, to get microplastics out of products going forward. Um, but yeah, uh, that makeup is this weird, weird, sneaky way that um, we're actually much more surrounded with plastics than we really realize. It doesn't seem possible that I could suddenly uh, isolate myself from all the plastics in my environment. Um, just this, you know, getting ready for work and I'm brushing my teeth. And I look at my toothbrush. This whole thing's made out of plastic. Even the bristles, which I'm using, um, we can't go back to a, a boar's bristles, uh, you know, back from back in the day. You know, uh, how realistic is it to say, you know, no more plastics? In the book, I talk about this sort of um, plastic trap that we have allowed the plastics industry to surround us with this material over the past century, really, um, in, in ways that we are going to find hard to shake off. So, um, you know, switching to glass bottles, um, more aluminum, um, reusable plastic, or reusable bottles for, for water, these sorts of things uh, are really going to help going forward to, to try to wean ourselves off of all of this plastic. But again, there are these sneaky ways that plastics are surrounding us. So you mentioned the toothbrush. We need to brush our teeth, right? Um, we are surrounded by carpet uh, that is made out of plastic. Hardwood floors now made out of, of plastic. Our clothing, something like two-thirds of clothing is now made of plastic. These are synthetic fibers, uh, nylon, poly, uh, polyester, these sorts of things. So um, it is, first of all, about recognizing where this plastic is coming from. Um, we are literally wrapping ourselves in it in, in the case of our clothing. And then bit by bit, replacing that with natural fibers, for instance. Um, but it's, 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 it's going to be difficult because we have, over the past century, uh, become addicted to plastic. Um, so, yes, there are ways to, to mitigate this. Um, it's about, first of all, individual awareness. But then about on a much bigger scale, there's a, a UN treaty under negotiation to potentially put a cap on plastic production uh, in the near future. And that's going to be hugely important. Well, do we have a smoking gun that we can say this is happening because of all the microplastics in the human body uh, caused by all these uh, surrounding circumstances? Because right now we're saying, well, it, it's, it's causing cancer, it's causing maybe increase in diabetes, but we really can't really put our finger on it, can we? It's, again, difficult to tease apart the contributions of plastics in general versus plastics in the small size, in the, in the microplastic and nanoplastic realm. What scientists can do is in the lab, they can expose human cells to microplastics and nanoplastics, 
and it's highly toxic. Um, it, it's really, really bad for those cells. Um, so we have uh, the issue is you cannot uh, intentionally dose a human being um, with microplastics and nanoplastics. It's just it's, it's not ethical. So we will see in in the coming years. Uh, I think more research, first of all, into the health impacts of plastics in general, the chemicals that we know are specific to plastic, that is causing X amount of, of health problems um, and X amount of uh, cost each year in the healthcare system. Uh, then we're going to, I think, get better at figuring out what the contribution of microplastics and nanoplastics is. We can look back at like occupational studies. So uh, people who work in synthetic textiles, um, studies have found that they have much higher rates of lung cancer and digestive cancer. Um, they are, of course, exposed to much more microplastic in their jobs than we are day to day, um, you and I as humans. Um, but how much, again, is, is going to be too much to have of this uh, material in our bodies? Is this generationally cumulative? Like every, you know, the younger generation is more exposed to it, more susceptible. They, they may have more of it in their, in their bodies. Yeah, right. So what scientists have shown time and time again is that looking back to the 1940s when the production of plastic really started ramping up. So, and this is, to be very clear, we're producing plastic in exponential amounts um, decade after decade. So the uh, amount of plastic that we currently produce is something around a trillion pounds a year. That may triple by the year 2050 or 2060. This is not a linear growth of, of plastic. This is exponential. And scientists are finding in the environment, the more exponential amount of plastic we produce, the more exponentially contaminated the environment gets with microplastics. So um, that also shows that if we are able to reduce the amount of plastic that we're producing in the first place, we can actually see pretty immediate benefits in the environment uh, of the microplastic concentrations going down. Uh, I am in my late 30s. I rem remember a time in my life, my early life, where I wasn't surrounded with this insane amount of single-use plastics. There is going to be a generational divide here where you have um, older generations that have not been, uh, especially in their early days, exposed to this much plastic. But if it is found that the human body is actually holding on to these particles um, that are that are kind of floating in between our tissues. If you're older, you might be accumulating these over the decades. Um, but we we know that uh, children these days are exposed to way more plastic, way more of those toxic chemicals. Uh, and it's, that's really, I think, the emergency here is that we need to massively cut back on the amount of plastic that we're producing. We've just saw a study out. Uh, this week showing an explosion in cancer rates in younger people. Uh, and, you know, people are wondering, why is that? And uh, is, it, is it foolhardy to say, well, look at the plastics? Cancer is a tough one because it is extraordinarily difficult to, even with an individual person's cancer, to say for sure where that came from. The the catastrophe that we're facing in, in modern life is that we are so thoroughly surrounded by cancer-causing chemicals from all sources that it's hard to determine how much of that is coming from plastics. Um, so, like a number of products in the home are off-gassing um, some of these uh, nasty chemicals, PFAS, you've probably heard of that recently. Um, a lot of these chemicals are used across 
plastics and other products. So it's going to be difficult to tease apart the contribution. Um, but what, again, scientists can do is they can look through people's blood samples and find chemicals specific to plastic. Um, and if they're in high concentrations in that blood, um, potentially to correlate them to certain cancers. Um, whether that is causing those cancers is very difficult to determine, just because in general, it's very difficult to determine where a particular cancer comes from, um, short of right. something like a, a radio, a radioactive accident or something like that. All right, let's take a break. The number to call in if you've got a question or comment about microplastics all around us, inside of us as well, 833-877-8255, 833-TPR-TALK. It's The Source from Texas Public Radio. We'll be right back. Support for TPR comes from the Lawton family of restaurants, Cappy's, Cappuccino's, Mama's Cafe, La Fonda on Main, and Jingu House, located in San Antonio. Their diverse menus and hours can be viewed at LawtonRestaurants.com. This is The Source on Texas Public Radio. I'm David Martin Davies. We're talking about microplastics, fine, fine, fine plastic dust, uh, even finer than that, it's almost at the atomic scale. Uh, it's in our air, our water, to the food that we eat, and it's in us. What is it doing to us? We're joined by Matt Simon. Uh, he's written a book about it, A Poison Like No Other, How Microplastics Corrupted Our Planet and Our Bodies. Our number is 833-877-8255. And let's go to Jose on the line. And Jose, you're on the air. Hello. Love your show, first of all. Thank you. Hey, listen, is there other materials that can replace plastics? Right now I'm driving as I'm speaking to you, and I can assure you probably 70% of my car is, are, is made out of plastic. So is there something else available we could replace plastics? That's my question. Jose, thank you for the call. Uh, and Matt? Yeah, sure. Your car, your car is certainly made out of a lot of plastic, as are airplanes, of course. It, it, you know, the, the lightweight nature of plastics is what makes um, – cars more fuel efficient in a certain way and it allows planes to fly so we going forward are going to need these alternatives that you're talking about unfortunately we just don't have them at the moment um the best we can do is um replacing unnecessary plastic with uh materials that we already know are much more recyclable and much less toxic so glass uh and aluminum these sorts of things so what you'll see in the coming years, I think, is a, a, a more intense exploration of materials that have plastics properties without the toxicity. Uh, the issue, coming back to what I was talking about earlier, is that you know there are certain chemicals that give plastics its, its properties that are very hard to get around. Um, so you might see in the coming years things like um, you know mushroom-based materials. Uh, but yes, it's, it's about exploring alternatives to plastics that we need to be very careful are not just as toxic as plastic. Um, so it, it's going to be a challenge, but uh, it, that's the urgency here is that we already know this stuff is, is toxic. We need to get as much of it out of our idea, uh, daily life as possible. But is this substitution, is it scalable? Is it practical, sustainable? No, not, no, no, not yet. Uh, no, it's um, the the thing that has made plastics so cheap uh, historically is that they're made out of fossil fuels. So something like 99% of them are still made out of fossil fuels, which remain cheap. Um, that's why it's much easier for these companies to produce 
virgin plastic than it is to try to recycle it. Uh, it's actually quite expensive to try to do that. Um, so the economics of recycling are broken. Um, it, we'll need to fix that going forward. Um, but yes, the reason that we have been surrounded by so much plastic is that it has increased these companies' bottom lines, right? It's, it's cheaper to ship uh, a plastic bottle than it is to ship a glass bottle. Uh, we need to to break that, um, that absurdity um, because we need more of these traditional materials that we know are much more recyclable and less toxic, uh, but also some of these novel materials that we'll see coming out of lab. Let's go to a caller. We have Chance on the line. And Chance, you're on the air. Hello, David. Um, I'm calling because I recently saw something online that mentioned that um, tires have a lot to do with the microplastic uh, production. And I'm wondering if that's true at all or if it's uh, just like totally made up. So tires um, and, and also brakes, uh, those are two things that people are now talking a lot more about, our particulate pollution. Uh, Matt Simon? Very much so, yes. So this is another sneaky way that plastics have infiltrated the environment. So uh, rubber uh, tires are no longer made really out of uh, much natural rubber. So they are made out of synthetic rubber, which is technically a kind of plastic. When you are driving down the road and you have to replace your tire every once in a while, um, where has it gone? Well, it's broken into uh, smaller little bits that then flush into waterways. Um, by some estimations, this is actually the majority of microplastics in the oceans. Um, it comes from car tires. Uh, this is actually one of the first demonstrated harms of microplastics specifically in the environment. So scientists in Washington state were noticing that they were having these mass die-offs of salmon in their rivers after the first rains uh, every year. Uh, they did some sleuthing and found that it was the car tire particles flushing into those rivers. A specific chemical called 6-PPD in those car tire uh, particles is highly toxic to salmon, and uh, that was leading to a die-off. That has uh, been followed up by a couple of other studies that found other species of fish are also susceptible to this chemical. So not only is it a major source of microplastic into the environment, it is uh, actually one of the first confirmed uh, demonstrated harm to organisms and ecosystems by microplastics. Another caller, uh, JD, and JD, you're on the air. Yes, uh, I work in aviation, and we use a lot of composite materials. Um, and a lot of these composite materials are similar to fiberglass, and uh, they're used on aircraft nowadays because of their strength and their uh, and their weight. They're very lightweight. Are these as dangerous as plastic? Uh, thank you for the call, JD. Appreciate it. Uh, and Matt Simon. Yeah, I'm not. Um, I'm not particularly familiar with those. Um, uh, other than I will say that there are there are certain use cases for plastics that are uh, better than others, right? So if you're in an airplane, it needs to have a good amount of lightweight material. Uh, in order to fly, right? So um, what I, I really bristle at is uh, just, just overuse of single-use plastics, which which needs to, to end. Um, that's kind of low-hanging fruit. Uh, what's going to be more difficult is in the sort of industry that you're in is that we require, uh, because we've been addicted to plastics for so long, we require this material to help make things work. Um, and you bring up an interesting point, uh, an interesting question is, 
Um, well, is an alternative going to be as toxic? Um, generally speaking, these kind of longer-term uses of plastics that, that are like in an airplane or a car, um, they are producing microplastics, but they're not in contact with our food, right? So that's, that makes them a little bit better. Um, but yes, going forward, we need to do these um, toxicology studies on new materials. Let's go to Eileen on the phones. And Eileen, you're on the air. Irene, I, I think it's... Oh, okay, Irene. Sorry about that. It's Irene. I wasn't sure. Um, my question has to do with the countertop, 10-stage water filters on the sink countertop. Will that actually fill out, uh, filter out the um, nanoparticles of plastic? Uh, Irene, thank you for that great call. appreciate it. Matt? Yeah, that's, a, that's an interesting question, and it's going to depend product to product. So uh, uh, these particles, are, these plastic particles, are, are getting so small. The nanoplastics you mentioned, they're a millionth of a meter uh, small, and, and they're small enough to get into these individual cells. Are they small enough to slip through filters, um, certain filters? Yeah, probably. Um, the issue is that uh, because this is a kind of a new science and a new problem, at least on, on the radar, uh, we don't have the products really yet to, to fully filter out so many of these particles. Um, I would I would say that I don't think there's any harm in, in having filtered water for sure. Uh, it, it is at least catching the big particles um, and maybe some of the smaller ones. Uh, but we need uh, to be uh, much more deliberate about the way that we're developing not only filters for water, but also for air. Like indoor air is highly contaminated with microplastics and nanoplastics. Um, do we need to retrofit our filters to better catch those? Same with filters on washing machines to catch those microfibers before they flush out to a wastewater treatment facility and then to the ocean. Um, so, yes, yeah, look in, in, in the near future for more products, I think, designed to collect the smallest of particles, um, but be, uh, you know, skeptical of these things uh, that they're actually backed up by science. So those washing machine filters to prevent those microfibers from going into the ocean, that's already required in, what, in France? Yes, France has mandated that by 2025, all washing machines that, that are sold in that country have to have built-in filters for their um, for those those particles of plastic that are breaking off of our clothes. In the United States, we do not have that yet. Uh, what you can get is an aftermarket filter that you can kind of slap on to your washing machine. I have one at home. It seems to work pretty well. Um, but the honestly, the onus should not be on us as consumers. Uh, we need in the United States to have every washing machine have one of these filters built in um, because, again, we have um, very good evidence that the more plastic that we're producing and, you know, be that in our clothes or bottles and bags, that sort of thing, the more contaminated the environment gets. If we, if we reduce that production, uh, we make a big dent in what's actually escaping into the environment. Plastic cutting boards. Uh, there seems to be a movement telling people not to use those. Do you, well, how do you see that? Yeah. Wouldn't use those either. Uh, if you're, if you're cutting on it, uh, you're slicing off little bits of plastic, uh, this gets at, I think, an important point, is that a plastic cutting board is much cheaper than a, a wooden cutting board. Um, and when we are thinking about switching away from plastic into these other more sustainable materials like wood, uh, we need to make sure that it's actually equitable. Um, if people can't afford to switch away from plastic, that's going to be exposing them 
more to that that toxic material. Uh, we can't have that. Uh, but in general, try to keep plastic uh, away from food and water as much as possible. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, and as you said, there's an equity issue there. Uh, plastic is cheap. Uh, plastic disposable items, are we being told? And, and whether or not that's actually going to uh, help us in the long run, that's something that we need to work on together. And also we have to figure out, like, is uh, I'll ask you this when we come back from the break, Matt, but uh, we have a, a uh, industries that are very adept at uh, denying uh, science. Uh, is that happening also uh, with these plastic discoveries? Uh, give us a call. Our phone num number is 833-877-8255, 833-TPR-TALK. This is The Source on Texas Public Radio. We'll be right back. This is The Source on Texas Public Radio. I'm David Martin Davies. Matt Simon is with us, senior staff writer Wired. Uh, he is the author of the book, A Poison Like No Other, How Microplastics Corrupted Our Planet and Our Bodies. Why is it like no other? We've got lots of poisons. Why is this different? Sure, I, I mean that in two ways. So poison in kind of the metaphorical sense that this is a material that has thoroughly corrupt in the environment. It is absolutely everywhere. Um, it is this metaphorical poison um, on our planet. Um, but in the second way, in, the, in a purely toxicological sense, that this is a material that is not just a, a singular poison. So like arsenic, you know, right? You're not supposed to have too much arsenic in your body. It makes you um, sick or kills you. Um, this is a, a plastics, these microplastics, these nanoplastics are this amalgamation of different toxicants. Um, so scientists uh, have found something like 13,500 different chemicals have been used in plastic. A quarter of those they consider to be of concern, meaning, meaning they're either outright toxic or they are, are biopersistent. So they last a long time in our bodies or in the environment. Um, so this makes microplastics a, a fundamentally different kind of, of threat to face down is that any one of those 13,500 different chemicals that have been used to make plastics might be toxic to a particular organism. So a, a particular plankton floating around out there um, might ingest it and, and become sickened by that, that chemical. Um, that's what makes it, it a poison like no other, is that um, not only is it absolutely everywhere and it's extraordinarily difficult, it's not impossible to clean up, um, but it's just toxicologically not like anything we've ever had to face as a species. Let's go to Carlos on the phones. And Carlos, you're on the air. Yeah, I was curious, does rolling coal, since it is plastic and oil-based polymers, you know, does that consider, does that spew out microplastics into the air? Rolling coal, I guess that's when sometimes when trucks are adapted in order to spew extra soot out the back. Uh, so, uh, Scott, I mean, uh, Matt? Uh, I don't think that's going to be a, a plastics issue, certainly a climate issue. And it's an like attitude an issue. Quality <laughs> issue. Uh, yeah, yeah right. um, don't do that. It, it's, uh, yeah, it's, you're not so much burning plastics, though, if you're like, if you're spinning your tires, um, you're producing microplastics that way. Um, but uh, 
uh, that sort of pollution is not bad just because of the carbon that it's putting into the atmosphere, but the particulate matter that it's producing for people in the vicinity to breathe, which we know for sure is extremely toxic. So uh, we have these merchants of doubt. Uh, they tell us the, the crises that we face aren't that bad, like uh, climate change. And, uh, and also the plastics industry has been very adept at trying to tell people that uh, the plastic pollution is your problem, not theirs. So what is the, uh, what's the response from the plastic industry? I think this, this really began with recycling. So recycling was always pushed on us as consumers as a way that we should fix the plastic problem. So it, it's our fault as consumers that so much of this plastic is escaping into the environment. If only we would recycle more, this would fix the problem. Um, that was always pushed by the plastics industry because it gave them an excuse to produce more plastic um, for recycling it. Uh, why not just keep producing it? Um, which is um, fundamentally contradictory, right? So like if recycling actually worked, we wouldn't need to keep producing exponentially more plastic. We are now at a point in the United States where we are recycling something like 5% of plastic waste, which is just an abysmal failure. Recycling does not work in its current form. It will be important going forward if we can fix the economics of it, but it's just much cheaper to produce these uh, these plastics uh, from fossil fuels. Uh, so here we have, um, it's the, it's, think of it as the same industry, right? Because 99% of, of plastics are made out of fossil fuels still. Um, these are the same companies that told us that climate change wasn't a problem. Um, clearly, it was. Uh, so they are making also no secret that they are putting much more investment into plastics. This is the really dangerous inflection point that I think we're at here, is that they know that we're going to be burning fewer fossil fuels as fuels going forward as we switch to renewables. Uh, they want us to use more fossil fuels as plastics. That's why production is going to triple by the year 2050 or 2060, is that that's their revenue going forward. Um, in order for that to happen, in order for us to as a as a public and as politicians to let that happen we have to be made to believe that this stuff is safe when it is it is not a growing number of studies are finding not only awful effects for uh ecosystems and organisms out in the environment um, but increasingly um some links to human health problems so uh at the end of the day it's it's, it's going to be difficult to get as much of this material out of our lives as possible um but that is why we need the un treaty and that's why we can't let that plastics industry watered down the language in that that treaty um, we need we need a strong one uh, because if you are just if you're not banning or if you're not reducing the production of plastics internationally uh, if you do it in one country uh, the, the industry will pick up and go to another um, and just produce more plastic there it's, it's a global problem that needs a global solution Elizabeth on the phones uh, Elizabeth you're on the air Hi. Uh, my question is about nail polish, particularly uh, acrylic nail polish and all the, the new uh, nail polishes now that stay on longer. And you go to the salon and they file it down and there's that fine dust that goes in the air. And then they're painting on, you know, the new layer and putting it under the UV light and all of that. I'm just wondering how toxic that those particles that I'm breathing in um What's that doing to me? Well, I don't think it's very good, but okay. Uh, <laughs> I didn't know all that stuff was going on. Um, Matt Simon? Sure. 
So the, I, I think there's a good amount of studies already showing um, that just in general in, in nail salons, given the amount of chemicals there, that it, it is not a good environment to be in human health-wise. Um, it's really interesting that you bring up paint. So it, it's not just nail polish that um, is no longer just like kind of paint as we would historically think of it. <clears throat> like, um, you know, like the ancients used paint in their homes um, based on dyes and these sorts of things. Uh, our paint is now made largely of plastic. Um, and this is actually beyond the, the nail polish, uh, which of course should be a concern for human health if you're breathing in that dust. Uh, paint is actually a major source of microplastics in the environment. So think about all the surfaces of the built environment that are, are painted with this material that is now including a lot of plastic in it. Um, so uh, they are finding really kind of in a morbid, interesting way, uh, ships that are painted with uh, this supposedly very tough plastic, those that kind of chips off over time. That's why we have to repaint ships a lot. Um, they find that actually ships leave skid marks in the ocean of paint particles as they're tugging along. Uh, and then think about all the bridges and other infrastructure along the oceans that are constantly breaking apart this plastic and, and spewing it into the oceans. Um, so that's, that's a very good question that you bring up paint uh, as concerned human health exposure. Um, but interesting enough, it's actually, along with car tires, one of these really huge and kind of sneaky sources of microplastic into the environment. Let's go to Rick on the phones. And Rick, you're on the air. Hi. I was uh, interested in seeing what your guest thinks about the uh, idea of releasing bacteria, microorganisms that digest plastic into the environment. And uh, then we have to be aware of unintended consequences because if we do release all these things into the environment and plastic is ubiquitous in the environment and in us, could that be a problem? All right, Rick, thank you for the question. Uh, Matt Simon. A, a tricky subject for sure uh, and a very interesting question. So you will be hearing more and more of this, that uh, scientists in the lab have uh, found some sort of bacteria or maybe an enzyme that is able to break apart plastic, um, which is all well and good. But uh, in my opinion, we should, yeah, as you mentioned, we should not be introducing that into the environment because it could have any number of, uh, of, of terrible <laughs> effects in, in these ecosystems. So um, the unfortunate reality of microplastics and nanoplastics is that because they are in every corner of the environment, it is virtually impossible to pull them out again, uh, right? So there's, there's not like a magnet that we can drag to the ocean and, and collect all these particles. But studies have been finding that when plastic production dips, you actually see a dip in the amount of microplastics in the ocean. So. Uh, in the 2008 financial crisis, when you had just generally less economic um, activity, you saw a decline in the production of plastic and, uh, at the same time, a decline in the amount of microplastics in the open ocean, which suggests that if we can cut off as many sources of microplastics into the environment, which is going to be difficult, uh, we have to kind of do it bit by bit, uh, we will see immediate effects. So, in my opinion, what we should be doing here is stopping the flow of microplastics into the environment. And then over time, the particles will, in the ocean, probably settle onto the seafloor, which is terrible, honestly, for the organisms down there. Um, but all this science suggests that uh, over time, the environment will find ways to sequester 
these particles when they're not uh, you know, swirling in the open ocean and, and affecting organisms there. Almost out of time here, but I want to ask you this. I see things now online about a, a microplastic detox diet uh, or some sort of anti, you know, some uh, bio, whatever. Uh, any, any truth to that stuff? I had, I had not heard of that. Um, here's the problem. So uh, you are eating a lot of microplastics and drinking a lot of microplastics. That much is clear. Um, we, they've done studies on, on human feces and found them to be absolutely loaded with microplastics. So uh, the, the, the problem is that we are probably more exposed to microplastics by what we're inhaling. So I think in the intro, you had mentioned that one study found that we're maybe inhaling 7,000 microplastics a day. Uh, that's, how, that's how contaminated indoor there is. So you can do all you want as far as uh, your diet is concerned. And, and again, do not, like, it, it, wherever possible, do not put food or water in contact with plastic. Uh, but we need to get a better handle on the contamination of indoor air. And that's, uh, again, going to require better air filters. And just in general, trying to surround ourselves with, with less plastic that's going to break down over time and, and eventually get into our lungs. Matt Simon, he's the author of the book, A Poison Like No Other, How Microplastics Corrupted Our Planet and Our Bodies. Matt, great for coming on. Thanks. Appreciate it. Thank you. This has been The Source on Texas Public Radio. The Source is hosted and produced by David Martin Davies. Kayla Padilla is our booking and engagement producer. Engineering support from Ruben Garcia, Jesse Reeves, and Steve Short. Dan Katz is TPR's Vice President of News. The Source is made possible with support from the Gladys and Ralph Lazarus Foundation.